0: Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Laws podcast, Trevo. I'm your host, Haley Dorodawan, and this is The Current State. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Dorodawan, and today I will be talking with Julia Wang about the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan and what, if anything, the rest of the world has done in response.
1: Hi, Haley. So Afghanistan has been facing a severe economic and humanitarian crisis, which was exacerbated after the Taliban took over last August. According to Human Rights Watch, 95% of Afghan households are now experiencing food insecurity. The economic collapse in Afghanistan has impaired many basic human rights, such as the rights to a livelihood, food and health care, with a disproportionate effect on women and girls.
0: And Julia, what factors would you say are at the root of this current economic crisis?
1: The primary cause of this crisis is external restrictions on Afghanistan's central bank and international development funds. Senior Taliban officials are leading the central bank, which has made other nations worried about giving the Taliban-run government access to billions in foreign funds. However, when the U.S. froze over $7 billion in Afghanistan's central bank assets last year, it also created a massive liquidity crisis and nationwide shortages of Afghan and U.S. currency. Then, in February of this year, President Biden signed an executive order to allocate half of those assets for families of American 9 11 victims and the other half for humanitarian aid to a UN managed trust fund. However, many have criticized this division of Afghanistan's assets. According to former Afghan government advisor Tora Fahadi, those assets are meant to back up the country's currency and stabilize monetary policy. Although the US has somewhat relaxed its stance in the last few weeks, And international organizations have pledged billions in assistance with soaring inflation, widespread job losses and unpaid salaries. It will take some time before any aid can alleviate the dire situation in Afghanistan. In the meantime, for everyday Afghans, getting enough money to cover necessities like food, rent and medical treatment will be a continual struggle.
0: And how does this crisis relate to international law specifically?
1: So this crisis relates to international law because it provokes questions about whether the Taliban is recognized as a governmental entity, and whether it's meeting its human rights obligations under international conventions. Despite the Taliban's control over the last several months, no country in the world has yet recognized the Taliban as Afghanistan's legitimate government. The two major doctrines regarding recognition are the constitutive and the declaratory theories. Under the constitutive view, recognition is an element of statehood, and so a state acquires rights and obligations under international law only when it is recognized by others. Under the declaratory view, however, recognition is purely a political act that is irrelevant to the legal determination of statehood. The conventional approach follows the declaratory view, which means that a government does not have to be recognized by other countries to be entitled to represent the state. For all intents and purposes, the Taliban has effective control over Afghanistan's territory and population, and as of now, there are no clear competing claims to power. In principle, as the de facto government, the Taliban would be able to exercise the rights and responsibilities of the state. So this includes the ability to request military assistance, represent Afghanistan at international institutions, and access IMF resources in Afghanistan's name. Earlier, I also mentioned that this crisis disproportionately harms women and girls. Afghanistan signed the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW in 1980 and ratified it in 2003, without any reservations. CEDAW gives states many obligations, including guaranteeing basic human rights and fundamental freedoms to women on a basis of equality with men, and guaranteeing equality in political and public life. Under international law, changes in governments do not affect a state's international obligations. While countries are currently reluctant to recognize the Taliban, recognition would help force the Taliban to comply with its obligations under international humanitarian and human rights law. Since the Taliban takeover, women and girls continue to face strict restrictions on their rights to education, work, and health care, as well as their freedom of movement and speech. Taliban rules banning women from most paid jobs have had a devastating impact on female-headed households. And expanding guardianship rules are preventing women who are unaccompanied by a male relative from doing basic tasks like entering government buildings, going to a doctor, or riding a taxi. On March 23rd, the Taliban suddenly reneged on its promise to open schools for girls over the sixth grade. And on March 27th, it ordered parks to be segregated by sex, which prohibits even married couples and families from visiting together. For the purposes of state responsibility, recognition of the Taliban would ensure that it would be held responsible for any breaches of Afghanistan's obligations, especially if it's violation of basic human rights.
0: And what else makes recognizing the Taliban as Afghanistan's government complicated?
1: Despite the reluctance to recognize the Taliban, many states still have an interest in cooperating with the Taliban, especially with respect to counterterrorism and humanitarian efforts. Additionally, the Taliban has also had a long-standing interest in recognition and needs Western countries to lift sanctions that are crippling the Afghan economy. This January, members of the Taliban met Western officials for the first time in Oslo to discuss the humanitarian crisis. Many critics argued that the country should not have invited the Taliban to meet while it violates human rights at home, but others stressed the importance of talking with the de facto authorities of Afghanistan. Many leaders have emphasized that cooperation with the Taliban does not necessarily imply recognition. After the Taliban reneged on its promise to restore girls' education, the U.S. canceled planned meetings with the Taliban officials in Doha. These meetings were to have included representatives from the UN and World Bank and cover key economic issues like the currency crisis, independence of the Afghan Central Bank, and the release of hundreds of millions of dollars in humanitarian aid. On the other hand, just one day after the Taliban's U-turn, China and Russia both sent state officials to Afghanistan. Just last week at the Twin Xi conference, Russia announced that it had accredited the first diplomat from the Taliban in February, although Moscow still designates the group as a terrorist organization. President Xi also pledged China's support to a peaceful, stable, developed, and prosperous Afghanistan, with no mentions of the Taliban's human rights abuses, and also called for the U.S. to return the $7 billion in frozen Afghan assets.
0: Thank you so much for that awesome overview of this really complicated topic. What are the key takeaways that you want listeners to remember from this episode?
1: So in the context of international law, the economic and humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan involves complicated questions of recognition and human rights. While recognition is not legally necessary, it is essential for diplomatic relations with other countries. The Taliban is clearly seeking recognition from the international community in order to lift the sanctions that are severely impeding banking, business, and development in Afghanistan and ameliorate the economic crisis. Other states must impose respect of human rights, like the inclusion of more Afghan women, in decision-making as a condition of recognition. Plus, recognizing the Taliban would also allow individuals to bring complaints for violations of Sida to UN entities. Then, if these bodies conclude that the Taliban has violated CEDAW, the UN can impose a range of remedies, including stopping the violating practice and paying reparations. But in the meantime, countries must quickly find ways to cooperate and resolve the banking and liquidity crisis affecting millions of Afghans.
0: And finally, last question, where should people go if they want to learn more about the humanitarian crisis?
1: I would definitely recommend checking the Human Rights Watch website for more information about not only the economic crisis and women's rights, but also media freedoms, arbitrary detentions, and displacement in Afghanistan. I would also recommend supporting Afghan organizations that are doing the work on the ground to ameliorate the crisis.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Julia. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Trevo is brought to you by Haley Duridwan, Kayleen Kosla, and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travo@gmail.com. at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Travo. See you next week. Au revoir.